Guys, it has been a big week in the Popplestone household this week. You might have heard me mention it on a couple of the last episodes that little junior Popplestone Charlie has been welcomed into the family this week. So it's uh, it's been a little bit of fun. Been doing my best to try and get myself organised enough to get this podcast out. So thank God we made it. We're all here. Little Charlie boy's healthy. He's just drank way more milk than I thought was possible for a kid to drink. So. Um, I'm pretty sure his weight gain is going to be quite incredible, so I'll keep you posted on that over the next couple of weeks. In for a massive treat today, we have a guest by the name of Andy Blow on the podcast today. He's the co-founder and CEO of Precision Hydration, coming at us straight out of the UK. Andy's a sports scientist. He's got a degree in sport and exercise science from the University of Bath. He's an expert in sweat, dehydration, and cramping. He's worked alongside uh, sports teams like uh, Benetton, Renault, Formula One teams, and he remains as the advisor to the Porsche Human Performance Center. He used to be an elite athlete himself over half Ironmans and the Ironmans. And after overcoming his own struggles with cramp and hydration, um, he started just taking steps towards specializing in electrolyte replenishment and then went on to found Precision Hydration. Really interesting conversation because hydration obviously is so essential to the role of being an effective distance runner. And there's so much, so much information. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. So much information out there about how to do it effectively, what works, what doesn't. Um, so it was great to sit down with an expert in the field and really pick his brain about this. It was, uh, yeah, it was really enlightening. I had a great time, and he was a really easy guy to talk to. He's been on a number of other big podcasts as well, so uh, I'll link some of those in the show notes if you want to get a little bit more from Andy. If you are a fan of this particular episode and you like what he had to say, his company has been good enough to put together a fifteen percent discount code for all of you listeners. Um, just enter the coupon code RELAX RUNNING, all in capital letters on checkout to receive your 15% discount. Also, there's a free online call that Precision Hydration does with anyone who's interested. So it's a 20-minute free, free call. I've put the link to that to book your free call in the show notes as well. Hey, as always, this, is sh- this show is also sponsored by the great and powerful and the comfortable, I've said it before, the silky smooth Rundies Undies athletic underwear i've i'm not just saying this because they're a sponsor of the show i reckon i've got about 12 pairs in my drawer and they've become the only undies that i wear they're, they're good they're silky they're smooth they're, and you guys get a 25 percent discount they've also got more than just undies so if you want to go and check that out it's rundies.com.au i'm also i'm rocking around a couple of little rundies singlets as well they're comfortable i'm telling you if you don't like it you can abuse me for it because I am the one who encouraged you to go and check it out. So make sure that you check out rundies.com.au to take advantage of the 25% discount while you still can. Hey, just before I get into the episode, um, make sure if you're interested, had quite a lot of people jumping on board the uh, membership lately. It's been good. It's It started a few months ago now and it's an opportunity to get access to a whole heap of bonus content. It's the way I explain it, it's essentially it's a resource library. You've got a video library of experts speaking about all things distance running from hydration to diet to training to recovery and a whole lot more. So, um, hey, go over there if you want to educate yourself with actual professional opinions and not just stuff that we find on Google. You also get access to our training programs from 5K to the marathon from beginner all the way through to advanced. Got a private Facebook group, which we've just started up. It's coming along nicely and what else have we got over there? The bonus podcast. Perhaps my favorite feature of it is uh, the bonus podcast. We've got 18, 19 episodes of that out there now. So there's about two or three that go up each week. Jump on to relaxrunning.com slash join to kickstart your three-day free trial. If you hate it after three days, just end your free trial. You won't be charged. All right? Check it out. If you've got any questions whatsoever, shoot them through to me. Otherwise, uh, I hope you enjoy that. That's about enough from me, guys. I'm going to step out of your way and welcome to the show for the very first time out of the UK, Andy Blow.
grasping. I thought before we even get started, man, it might be nice just to um, hear from your mouth a little bit about what it is that you do, because obviously I've, I've seen the website and uh, looked into the hydration element of sport quite a lot, but it's it's interesting to hear from a from a bloke like yourself who specialises in the field that you do. Yeah, I mean, I I got into hydration because prim- primarily because it was a problem for me as an athlete. You know, it was just it was something I learned about. I always say to people, I learned about it the hard way because I screwed up my hydration in, in lots of events, and that was a combination of factors. Some of them were down to what I learned, you know, is as an athlete, well, I sort of came through and studied sports science in the 1990s and in the early 2000s. And at that time, the message that was being pushed to athletes was that dehydration was a big issue for sports people and that actually drinking, most people didn't drink enough. And the, the underlying message is like, you need to drink more if you're an athlete, because if not, you're going to dehydrate and that's going to affect your performance. So that was like going on in the background. And then layered on top of that was the fact that i i just tend to know i sweat a lot so um i always was more conscious about being well hydrated and then as i started i was a triathlete and as i started to do longer events hotter events like i started to do half ironman events and then ironman events and i became like pretty co- convinced that i was going to get dehydrated if i didn't drink loads and so that was that was kind of the backdrop of what started the problems and then and then on top of that, my physiology is quite extreme in one sense in that I do sweat a lot, but I also sweat out tons of salt. So I lose loads of electrolytes in my sweat, which is not completely unusual. But but when you take a sample of the population, I'm in probably the top five or 10 percent for how much electrolyte people lose in their sweat. And so basically I was losing loads of salt, loads of sweat. I was replacing, I was drinking loads and causing huge, you know, fluid electrolyte imbalance in my body and and i learned about that through trial and error through talking to a friend of mine who was a doctor through eventually getting a sweat test which tested the levels of salt in my sweat and all of those things came together over a number of years and and that was like a light eventually like a light bulb going on and i managed to to figure out the the recipe for me if, if you like and i suppose that was the catalyst for then becoming i'd done all this research i was really interested in this area and i thought well this is probably something that might be useful to other athletes as well and that started down the track then of eventually setting up a you know setting up the business we we started off test sweat testing athletes and advising them on hydration then eventually we bought out our own product range as well and that's that so that's like a that's and that's a very short version of what we've been doing for the last 10 12 years now Awesome, man. Yeah, I had a couple of notes written down on what it is that I wanted to talk to you about. And there was one that you just touched on then. And I think it's interesting. So like I've been involved in, I'm 33 now, and I've been involved in distance running and sport in general, since I was sort of nine or 10. And and even with me, the idea of hydration, someone says, stay hydrated. And I think, okay, just drink water. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been quite experienced in the scene, I should know better. And, you know, I've got such a surface level understanding. And even just then listening to you speak about the um, the fact that you're in the higher percentile of, of sweating and you sweat out a lot of salt, that touches on a topic that I hadn't even considered is the fact that, that when people sweat, the way they sweat is obviously so much so much different, which is, I guess, is that the way that you start to address some of the um, specific issues that you find in an individual? So you study their specific uh, sweat, I don't know what you would call it, um, yeah. sweat foundation. Yeah, sweat, <laughs> yeah, sweat composition we tend to refer to as a sweat concentration. You know, yeah, that's, that's definitely a that's definitely an interesting starting point for us because if you take a hundred people and measure their sweat composition, as long as it's a random sample from the population, you could get a pretty wide range in terms of how much salt they lose per liter of sweat. And so to calibrate your thinking on that, the, if you see someone with really dilute sweat, they could have as little as two or 300 milligrams of sodium in every liter, which is incredibly dilute. If you see someone on the higher end like myself, I lose about 1,800 milligrams of sodium in every litre of sweat. And we've measured people who lose just over 2,000 milligrams. So the difference is kind of tenfold. And and then, so we start with that because that's something we can measure and, and, it, and it's one factor. But the, the other factors that are important are obviously people's sweat rate and then also t- in total, how much sweating are they doing? So like how hot is the environment they're working out in? How often are they working out? How long are those sessions? Because to a certain extent, none of that all matters if you're someone who's just doing a few 30 minute runs and 40 minute runs and, you know, not doing really long races and things. 
it really starts to matter when you're either either losing a lot of sweat through cumulative sweat loss day after day, which is what we see with some athletes that are training really hard. Even if their sessions aren't long, they might be doing two sessions a day and back-to-back days. Or it's when you've got guys doing uh, guys and girls doing marathons, ultras, the long stuff where they're out for like three, four, five, six plus hours. And then obviously during that time, if I sweat out 10 times more salt than you do, then that, that the gap between what we're actually losing, the net loss of sodium and fluid could be huge. And that's where it needs addressing on more of an individual level. Mm, yeah, no, that's really good. I, I know we've got quite a mix of listeners from what I can tell, um, sort of from beginner to advanced distance runners and from sort of 1500 all the way up to the ultra. So I'm sure there's plenty of different um, levels of advice and things that they would get off a bloke like you when they come to see you. But for, for anyone who, who was interested in sort of going down this line and really studying their specific sweat and finding out how to stay better hydrated, if they came to you, um, you know, just fresh off the street and just explain to you where they were at, what their goals were, like what's the process that you would take an athlete like that through? I think you touched on it briefly in what you said there, but for someone who just walks through your door, um, what are yeah. the questions you ask? What are the directions that you take the conversation to sort of navigate how to improve their performance or their, their, their specific, specifically hydration, I guess? Yeah, we, it's a good question. We've, we've developed, so if, if we're working with people remotely, because increasingly we're working with people that we can't necessarily get to see them immediately. And that's not just because of the COVID situation at the moment. It's more like just like ge- geography, you know, travel and stuff. Um, we developed an online questionnaire and that asks you questions about obviously what type of sport you do, what kind of volume of training you do, what kind of level you train and compete at, whether you're kind of competitive or recreational or elite level. Um, we we look at the, the duration of your longest key training sessions and workouts, the duration of your races. We try to get some estimates from you as to whether you're like a light sweater or a heavy sweater. We, we even try and ask you things about cramping and, and whether you see salt marks on your skin after races and competitions in hot weather. And then we've got an algorithm that looks at that information and tries to make a, an initial estimate as to whether you're someone whose requirement for fluid and electrolytes is going to be low medium high or very high and once we get you in that ballpark it's a case of then um trying stuff out you know there's no substitute even with a good amount of measurement and science there's no substitute for some good old-fashioned trial and error when it comes to getting hydration right the same as there isn't in a in putting a training program together or finding a running shoe that works for you or something you can you can read all the theory and and you know if you're cho- choosing a running shoe you might think about the type of terrain you're on the type of foot shape you've got the type of drop you like from heel to toe all those kind of things you can read it all you can get the you can buy the right shoe on paper but you've still got to go and run in it to see if it really works and and what we do is try and get people in the right zone to be thinking about the right variables give them a plan that sort of works for them if one's necessary or should work for them and then then it's kind of iteration from there. So you then, okay, well, is that working? Do we feel better or worse from that? Do we are we showing any signs of like over or under hydration or you know over or under um, salt intake? And then tr- try to try to move it along. And and if we get to interact with someone in person or in much more detail, the only other two things we would do is we'd measure their sweat concentration and we'd actually measure their sweat rate in different conditions. So we'd, we'd weigh them before and after a lot of training sessions or races, and we'd use our technology, which extracts a sweat sample from their arm and looks at the content, because then we can, what that does is actually just really narrows down those two, two components in much more detail. But I would say the, the more experience we get working with athletes remotely and, you know, sort of like helping them to zero in on it, it's not as imprecise a process as you'd necessarily imagine it's it's maybe a little bit harder to rule certain things in or out but but you can still make a lot of a lot of strides you know so mm. so yeah i think i think if people want to start with it a good place is to hit our website which is precisionhydration.com and they can just click their way through that that questionnaire it's totally free and it's cool it says get a free hydration plan and it will send you an email you know off the back of it with with some suggestions yeah, fantastic, man. You're going to have to forgive me because I, uh, I, I'm, you know, a self-confessed complete amateur when it comes to this subject. So I'm sure some of these questions are going to sound very cliche and very repetitive in your line of work, but they're, they're questions that I think 
most people, I guess I'm probably more of a representative of the population when it comes to an understanding of hydration. So I'm sure there'd be plenty of listeners out there who would, who would find it helpful. So I wanted to um, sort of really pick your brain about just the common misconceptions or common mistakes that you're seeing amongst the, a lot of the athletes who do come in. And um, I know we mentioned before that the idea of just drinking water to stay hydrated might be good as a general rule, I guess, for most of the population. But in terms of really niche and specific uh, tailor-made program for improvement it's not necessarily going to be the the golden ticket so is there any any particular issues that come up time and time again that you're like if you could just get a message out to everyone and say hey guys stop doing this or stop thinking that yeah i think um you're right so drinking water is is the best way for the the average person to stay hydrated you drink you know more or less as, as long as you're on in tune with your body you drink when you're thirsty you drink sensible amounts and you know your body is very good at managing its own homeostasis and keeping everything in balance so if you're if you're not experiencing like heavy sweat losses on a day-to-day basis be that through your work or your, your training then as long as you're drinking a reasonable amount of water to thirst and you're eating a reasonably normal diet you'll get any electrolytes that you lose you will gain through your diet and your fluid levels you'd be pretty good at balancing those out just by living intuitively the, the challenge comes when you start to kind of radically increase that sweat loss and that that fluid and electrolyte loss through heavy training. And that's particularly the problem when you get people in hot environments like, you know, your environment in the summer is is obviously pretty toasty. And in an hour or two of training, even you can you can probably quadruple your sweat losses in a day. So what what it then comes down to is starting to figure out okay well am i getting enough if i just drink water when i'm thirsty am i getting sufficient fluid in to to balance out what i'm losing and i think the the classic mistake that what a lot of athletes made and the one that i made was you you sort of get a bit nervous about getting dehydrated because you can see you're sweating a lot and you just drink tons more water so you're going out for a long run what do you do beforehand or you've got a big race you drink loads and loads of water and that's kind of a natural reaction because it's you're thinking i want i don't want to go into this dehydrated i'm sure i can store up a little bit of extra if i sort of put a bit of extra away and that'll ensure i don't start on the back foot but the, the problem with that approach is that the human body can't store much water because when you take too much on you just end up peeing and i'm i'm convinced that's why we see as well as nerves that's why we see these massive cues for toilets at the start of races because people have just been stood there with their water bottles sip sip sipping you know like nervous drinking i call it before the race and 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 for for example one strategy that we advise athletes before big races is to not over drink because that can leave you diluted because you're peeing out lots of minerals when you do all this extra weeing but actually taking a, a very strong electrolyte drink in a small quantity an hour or so before the start and that then helps you to just retain a little bit of extra fluid. So a high concentration of sodium in a drink helps pull it into the bloodstream, helps boost your blood volume. And then, but you don't need to drink a lot of that. The average size person probably, if they drink half a litre, you know, an hour or two before the start, that's going to be enough to top you up in most circumstances and not then send you queuing for the bathroom every five minutes to try and flush it out. So I think I think the number one thing for athletes is don't just think that you, you probably on the one hand, you do have a high requirement for water if you're sweating a lot. But it's not just exclusively that and you shouldn't overdo that and over drink. It's a, it's a combination of realizing you probably need a little bit of either extra salt in your food or a bit of electrolyte in your drinks and a moderate amount more to balance out what you're losing. Don't go crazy with it. Yeah, no, that's really that's a really good point. And I was actually going to bring this up to you and it seems relevant to bring up now, but my best mate, a a few years ago now, ran his first marathon and was he fell into that trap of thinking, okay, I've got to make sure I'm really well hydrated. And I think he said the day before the race, just with no idea, he drank four or five litres of water, which was just yeah. well and truly above and beyond anything that he would ever usually do. And um, I'm not sure if that was a direct factor or if it was fitness or what, but he said, mate, I got to about 18 k's into that race and he thought, oh, I'm in so much trouble. And uh, I don't know, I don't know exactly the way he described it, but I think you just explained it beautifully when you said that you're in, you know, if you're approaching a race like that, you're getting rid of a whole lot of minerals and a whole lot of good stuff that you probably need to help carry you through the races. So that's a pretty common mistake that people are making. Is it? it's not just a, a you know, a rookie I think, runner. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was some data that, so the condition that, that is a danger when you drink too much water is called hyponatremia. And it's, that means lower, that means lower blood sodium levels because your blood sodium levels are very tightly regulated in the body. They need to be between sort of 135 and 145 millimoles a litre the whole time to be in good shape. And if you drink tons of water, eventually that can start to get diluted because you basically take in water it goes into the bloodstream you end up filtering some out and weighing some out but you you dilute the blood and and that's they've done studies at the start and in some cases at the end of marathons and things and often we see about 10 percent of, of starters or finishers hypernatremic and if you're hypernatremic at the start it tends to suggest you've overconsumed fluid before the start exactly like your mate did and mm. i think just just talking with athletes and the amount of athletes that we've worked with over the years that getting that addressing that one problem is a, is a big game changer for most people because most people's attitude is right i'm going to i'm going to double down on this because we know it's sort of fairly sensible to do that with carbohydrate for instance you know like you we all you know or most people unless you're following a low carb diet are going to eat more carbs in the days before a race to stock your liver up to stock your muscles up and that makes sense and but with fluid it's not that simple and and i reckon yeah i would say that is is definitely one of the most common issues is that dilution effect which then as you sweat out more during the race and if you're only again if you're only drinking water can can just leave you feeling pretty lousy you know pretty fatigued sometimes cramping sometimes um just like lethargy headaches and all that and i think a lot of people the, the vast majority of people it's it's no worse than a negative performance you know it just sort of it just ruins a race but for some people it makes them pretty ill and very occasionally it kills people you know we get you see instances of you know probably i don't know a handful of cases a year where someone either gets seriously hospitalized or dies from hyponatremia just from overdoing it with the fluid in a race which is which given the level of education that's starting to be out there should i think shouldn't be happening but that message isn't is is very sort of um, the message about drinking a lot for athletes is very pervasive. Mm. I was going to ask you a question, which before it came out of my mouth, I'm thinking I don't know if this is a silly question, but um, when it comes to when it comes to actually preparing for your event, I, I can imagine hydration is probably more important for a marathon runner than it is for a hundred meter sprinter, and I don't know if that's actually true, um, but just chucking that out there. But for an athlete who's training for fifteen hundred meters, an athlete training for ten k marathon would you like what are the general rules when it comes to hydration for your specific events or is there no such thing as a general rule when it comes to the subject i i think that when it comes to the shorter events you're you're 100 right that actually the hydration stress of the event itself is going to be greater for a marathon runner or whatever obviously because you've just got that volume of time that you're going to lose more fluid you you're not going to dehydrate in 100 meters you're not even going to really significantly dehydrate in 10 kilometers unless it's in unbelievable heat, you know, and even then it's kind of, I guess it should be, if, as long as you start hydrated, it's going to be within a manageable tolerance that anyone can finish a, a 10K strongly without taking a drink. I know that some people feel like they can't, but I would definitely say that's probably more on the psychological side than it is on the, the physiological side. For, for a lot of people, you know, anything above hour, hour and a half, especially in hot weather, is probably where it starts to be significant that you might want to drink during the event. I think though, where, where you've got, you know, 15 serious 1500 meters and obviously serious 10 K runners will probably run quite high mileages. And, and I think their rules around hydration are more about supporting their training. Well, so making sure they're turning up to training sessions, properly hydrated. If they're high intensity sessions, they probably won't drink much, but making sure then they rehydrate appropriately afterwards. And, and I think if you're training once a day and your training sessions aren't that long, I think as long as you make sure you, you're topping up with a little bit of extra fluid before a training session, I'm talking about, you know, maybe a bottle of fluid in a 500 ml bottle in the hour or two before. So you're not starting behind and you're drinking sufficient afterwards to rehydrate, then you don't need a special hydration plan or special hydration products even particularly, you know, it's just, that will keep it's it's the it's the guys and girls that are putting in serious mileage the ones who are doing long individual sessions or the ones that are doing twice a day that kind of thing because if you go out and run you know go and run for an hour in the morning and don't really fully rehydrate before your interval session in the evening then 
you're going to compromise the quality of that training session and gradually you know, you're not going to get the you know you're not you're going to get the full benefits because you're not recovering properly and it's in those situations when we often end up saying to people look you might want to use a, a sports supplement an electrolyte drink or something in between those sessions to make sure that you're topping up from the last one and recovering before the next one yeah yeah i used to always hear people say uh, you know look at the color of your week and it gives you a pretty quick idea of what state you're in and is that is that a pretty good gauge to go by or is that leaving out a heap of information as well yeah it, it it's a bit it's it's a good guide but it can be misleading is how i would describe it and if you want to know about your hydration status the best time to look at your wee is first thing in the morning because that's when your body's had the full night of rest and all the hormones have sorted themselves out and you're you that's often a true a truer reflection of how well you hydrated you are or not so if you get up in the morning and your pee is really dark, and especially if you're also feeling thirsty, that's a pretty good sign that maybe you're you're starting on the back foot that day. I think as long as your you, your pee is like reasonably um, straw coloured or heading towards clear, then you're you're probably not in bad shape if you get up in the morning and you you have a wee light like that. And you know, as you get into the day, other things get in the way of this because as soon as you've had a couple of coffees or whatever that's a diuretic that can make you pee and it can make you pee quite clear even if you're not fundamentally all that hydrated so you know it, it, there's a there's actually a blog we wrote on our website about that and the fact that i don't think urine color should be thrown out as a as a waste of time it's worth monitoring it but just just because your pee is clear doesn't mean you're well hydrated it just means your body's getting rid of water and and just because your pee is dark the other way around doesn't mean you're necessarily completely dehydrated there's a bit of a fine balance there. Yeah. So when it came to your personal, um, I guess, Im- improvement on this in this area, what were what were some of the um, things that really helped you? Like, did it take you? Was it a, a year long process, or is it twelve, uh, an eighteen month process? Or I can imagine it's something that you're just constantly looking at and finding out ways to critique and adapt. But um, what were some of the big factors that made a positive impact in you? Like, I think you mentioned sodium levels before, and you're a heavy salt sweater. Mm. Um, but but yeah, were the, there three the big- or four things? Yeah, the big the big one for me was learning that that I lost a lot more sodium than I thought yeah. I did, or than, and and that I had to replace it quite a bit more aggressively in long races than most people around me. So, to give you an idea of the sort of levels, I was probably taking two or three, maybe four hundred milligrams of sodium an hour during an Ironman race through the sports nutrition products I was using. And that was, and I was probably losing in excess of two, two and a half thousand milligrams an hour. So it wasn't until I started putting in over a thousand milligrams an hour up to 1500 in really hot and humid conditions that that made a massive difference to me. It meant I could sustain my performance much deeper into the race and actually finish quite strong on some occasions. And that was, that was definitely as close as it gets to a magic bullet for me it was literally like night and day you know which is not the case for everyone because if you if you're not so far off the mark currently it might not be that you've got such big gains to make but i was i was doing ironman races and and like just struggling through the back half of them in the horrible shape even though i was pretty fit you know i was like well conditioned for these events but you know it was and when I got that particular part of the recipe right for me, that was that was a huge difference. So I would definitely say that if there's anyone who's listening who feels like they're sort of the story that a story like that resonates with them, like they're really struggling in later on in long, especially in longer, hotter races, then looking at the amount of sodium they're taking along with whatever fluid they're taking is a really good place to start a bit of personal investigation. Because what can be really off-putting is you read stuff online which says you know, from a sports nutritionist or a coach or an athlete who says, I, I advise taking, you know, I take this much per hour or whatever. And that, and that anchors people on, on an amount. And quite often that'll be an amount somewhere in the middle, you know, because if we take the population as a whole, there's, if we're going to give generic advice, it'd be a bit, be a bit like deciding if we were just going to give out t-shirts to everyone, we'd probably just pick a medium because mm-hmm. that's going to fit the majority yeah. of people. But those, you know, those poor guys who need an extra large or who need an extra small are going to be a bit you know a bit left out and and that's what that's where hydration advice has, has struggled i think because an electrolyte replacement advice because it's people want the generic one size fits all answer they want the soundbite answer and actually your individual needs are probably going to be quite different to mine and what it's all about is just you know essentially 
electrolyte intake for athletes, you could put on a scale from being almost completely irrelevant to some people to the, the, the be all and end all for other people. And obviously I'm sat up at this end. It's like, <laughs> if I don't get this thing right, it's, it's, it's a total ruiner for me in races. But for other people whose rates of loss are really low, they, they might benefit from taking a little bit in, but it's not going to be the be all and end all. And, and figuring out where you are on that scale is probably the most important thing. Mm. So for a bloke like yourself, obviously it's something you're looking at on a day-to-day basis, but uh, say a week out from race day or the last couple of days from race days, does what you're doing change a whole lot depending on the distance of the race? Are you trying to um, get those particular salt levels even higher than they would usually be? Or, or what are some of the little adaptations that you make coming closer to the race if there, if there are any? Yeah, like like I was saying before, there's not a lot you can do about retaining or, or holding on to extra fluid and, and salts before the race, but there is a little bit of a mo- bit of wiggle room there. So, mm. if it's before a long or hot race, one that I'm you know particularly worried about hydration for, I'll definitely be drinking a, a little bit more in the days before race. What that, and I'll also probably <clears throat> I'll, I'll reduce my intake of. Um, like tea and coffee a little bit any alcohol because they were diuretics that would flush a bit of fluid so I'd dial those down I'd, I'd just make sure I was drinking a little bit of extra fluid and by that I probably mean like one two three extra glasses of water a day nothing crazy but just ensuring that I'm pretty well topped up a little bit of extra salt on my meals to make sure that I'm getting plenty of salts in so that whatever happens I'm not going to be deficient so I accept that that means probably you're going to wee out quite a bit of extra, but you're just making sure you're topped up. And then in the last 24 hours, that's when I'll, I'll have a, a bottle of, we make a product called PH 1500, which is 1500 milligrams of sodium per litre. So it's very strong. It's about three times stronger than a regular sports drink. And I'll have one of those the night before the race. And I'll have another one with my breakfast on the morning. And then that's, that sort of seems to be a good setup for me. And we've got a, a blog on our site called how to start hydrated that explains the rationale behind that and the protocol behind that and and that seems to work for a lot of athletes that sort of approach yeah no that's really good i'm glad you brought up sports drinks because that was something i wanted to ask you about as well i feel like there's a i get confused because obviously like any industry it's a it's heavily infiltrated with marketing and um you know yeah. there's some fancy looking bottles and drinks and stuff out there but uh, from from your perspective, like your your Powerades and your Gatorades and those really well known sports drinks, are they? I, I hear a lot of talk about yeah, sure they replace the electrolytes, but they're also very high in sugar. So if you're drinking yeah. too much of it, it's probably not a good option for you. So have you got a um, you know an opinion on just a general sports drink? Is that something that should be a big part of our hydration? Well, yeah, sports drinks is like a catch-all term, isn't it? They started out, and you've you've highlighted sort of Gatorade and Powerade, and there's loads of those type of products which. They're the classic old school sports drink that was developed originally, you know, with Gatorade in the 1960s, 1970s. And then they've come to dominate the market. And the reason that they they're they're like a they're an isotonic drink. So they're supposed to be about the same thickness as your blood, which means they usually have around about six percent carbohydrate, which makes them quite sugary. If you think like a, I think a, a can of a can of Coca-Cola or something like that is 10 or 11% carbohydrate. So that's a little bit more sugary. Um, a, a, a sports drink is like six, five, six, seven percent carbohydrate normally. And they have a little bit of electrolytes in there. So maybe four, 500 milligrams per liter. So they're designed to be an all encompassing solution. If you're exercising, you know, we know that the body benefits from intake of fluid to combat what you're losing in sweat, carbohydrates, because you're burning them in your muscles and sometimes electrolytes if you're sweating enough so that you get an imbalance there. So so basically like fluids, carbs and salt are the three things your body needs when you're exercising hard. And they aim to give it all back in a kind of reasonable ratio. And I think to be fair to those products, they do a reasonable job for that. If you're playing a soccer match for 90 minutes or you're running a hard, you know, um, half marathon or something like that and need a little bit of a little bit of fluid a little bit of energy just to to see you through the last few miles a mouthful of those things is probably not is probably not all that bad but like you say they've got a lot of sugar in them. they're actually probably better at refueling than they are at rehydrating because they're quite sugary and where athletes in longer events hit problems with them is if you try and get a lot of calories from those things by drinking loads of them for 
many hours on end. They can make you feel quite nauseous. And I remember going up and down the Queen K Highway in in Hawaii, doing the Hawaii Ironman and drinking Gatorade and just getting a stomach that felt like it was out here. You know, it was just like bloated and sicky and horrid because I, it was just too much sugar, you know, compared with the fluid. So we, so that's isotonic drinks and we make the products that we make are what's called hypotonic. So they're a lot thinner. So the, the, the drink that we make with carbohydrates in has about half those sugars in. So it's about a 3% carbohydrate solution, but it contains a lot more electrolytes. And the idea with that is that that makes it much easier for the body to absorb. It not only replaces more electrolytes, but the electrolytes help the absorption in the gut and mean that you you pull the fluid through into the bloodstream faster. And there's plenty of studies to show that hypertonic drinks are absorbed more readily than isotonic drinks, although they deliver less energy, then you hydrate better. So in the heat and in, in longer events, then, then thinner hypertonic drinks are definitely the one. Yeah, sure. So I understand you're the you're the hydration man, but I'm I'm interested just in terms of fueling. Is there a particular diet or anything that that you follow to support your energy levels? Are you quite strict with your diet your diet as well as your hydration, or is that something that you just let go a little bit because you can? Um, I've got you the camera on here, and you look bloody fit. So I can assume it's something that you you're looking at quite quite a lot. But what's the story there? Is there is there any particular diet you're on? Oh no, the, like these days I'm probably less less conscientious about my diet than i've ever been actually because i don't <laughs> eat anywhere near as seriously as I, I used to but but i think i still try and eat you know i try and eat sensibly and, and healthily i'm not i'm not big on extremes i don't i'm not big on the kind of low carb high fat but neither am i big on just high carbohydrate when i grew up as an athlete it was all plates of pasta and everything was carbohydrate because again mm-hmm. that was the in the 1990s if you were an athlete and you weren't eating big bowls of pasta then you were doing it all wrong so you know I, I came through that and and now I've tried to be more balanced which means you know I'm quite a big believer in the idea of um, what they call carbohydrate cycling so when you're training hard and when you're fueling training sessions and races like eating a reasonably high amount of carbohydrate in your diet because that is the that's the go fuel for for going fast but at times when i'm not training so so much and definitely on days when i don't train i do try as hard as i can to eat kind of higher amounts of you know maybe um you know low carbohydrate foods which doesn't mean necessarily no carb foods but maybe more vegetables instead of rice and pasta and bread and that kind of thing or Mm. or or more meat and fish and eggs rather than than other stuff which has got got a high carb content so i think that's that's a general principle but when it comes to fueling for high intensity like good efforts i'm all about carbohydrate intake and you know working out a thing we do with athletes a lot is encourage them to try and work out how much carbohydrate they can tolerate and how much they need per hour because if you can work out that then for racing and hard training sessions i find that it's one of the biggest things to sustaining performance and improving recovery and for me, the number is like around about 60 grams of carbs an hour, something like that. If I'm in that ballpark when I'm doing longer, harder efforts, then not only do I feel like I can sustain my performance a lot better, but I recover way better afterwards. You know, So at the moment, the longest sessions I do tend to be on a actually biking rather than running. I tend to go out and do two or three hours on my gravel bike sometimes, and I'll, I'll make sure that I fuel up in that because then I've got energy when I come home to play with the kids. You know, I could probably get through those rides not eating a lot at all. But when you get to the end of it, you're going to feel pretty, you know, pretty rinsed. And so so for me, it's about working out, you know, roughly how many of grams of carbs per hour keep you going. And I'm, I'm actually not too precious about where they come from. I think as long as they come from something that's easily digestible, I'll, quite, I'll sometimes use energy gels when I'm out or chews and things, but equally as often i'll use like malt loaf bars or cereal bars or just something that i've got in the cupboard as long as i know roughly how many grams of carbs are in them i'll just take those i think running's a bit more difficult because if you're running at anything like a good pace like eating a cereal bar is pretty mm. difficult so i way prefer like having a gel or a an energy chew or something like that when i'm running but but on the bike i'm i'm not too i'm not too fussy yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned uh, back in the heyday when everything was just all about carbohydrates in the terms of um, pastas and breads and things like that. Because I don't know, do you know Steve Monaghetti, the Australian marathon yeah. runner? 
Steve yeah, Monaghetti wrote, wrote an autobiography a few years, oh, a few years ago, gee, probably 20 years ago now, I think. Yeah. And uh, I remember reading there that before one of his big marathons, um, he went out for dinner. Uh, they all ate their dinner, and then after dinner, he ordered dessert, and he said, I'll, I'll, I'll get a dozen donuts. And yeah. uh, the lady's like, oh, mate, you're sitting here by yourself. Like, is it? have you got people coming? He's like, no, nah, I'm just I'm doing this thing called carb loading, and I'm super hungry and training hard. She's like, you won't get through them, mate. Like, they're, they're a pretty big plate. Yeah. And uh, he goes, no, nah, bring them out. I'll give them a go. Anyway, he goes, they, they were absolutely shocked when they saw that I finished off the whole plate, but they were even more shocked when I ordered a second dozen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it is funny. I actually had a good chat and, and diet's a, an area that I'm really interested as well in. And I had a, um, a, a friend on here the other day, Ali, who, uh, she's a, she's a dietitian and she's a fan of the low carb, high fat diet. And, um, yeah. I was picking her brain about that. And it, it is, I find it really interesting just the different ways that different people fuel and prepare. And, um, and I, I think I, I love the fact that it is such a, a unique, thing it's I, I like the fact it's not a one-size-fits-all because it sort of forces me to really you know try and figure out actually what feels what feels good and i don't know it's it's something about just that tweaking process that is quite enjoyable i'm not sure if that's unique to me but it's it's a nice thing to adapt because it, it feels good once you start to make some changes I don't, I don't know about you but when i was when i was a kid i sort of just went along and ate what i was given and that was that if i ran fast i ran fast and then my wife's a little bit more in touch with how she feels and um, like if she's tired or if she's energetic or whatever. And uh, she started pointing out different things in her diet that she reckons was making her tired. And this is 10 years ago now. And then yeah. I thought, oh, mate, you, you, you're kidding yourself. Like as long as you're getting some food in, you'll be fine. And then it's funny, I've been forced to eat my words because now I'm fascinated by blokes like yourself who speak about just that unique precision approach to um, what it is that you're fueling with. But, um, mate, I wanted to I wanted to ask you as well because I saw you drinking something there that looked really interesting, really fancy. It looked like it was I don't know what it was. It looked like a supplement of oh, some just, sort. Is no, it? No, it's just just my coffee. That is. Is that it? all it is? It must have just been the, yeah, yeah. the little coffee grains at the bottom of it that I could see. I was like, oh, I've got to ask him about what he's got going here. Yeah, I've um, got um, I've got oat milk, oat milk with two shots of espresso in it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fantastic, <laughs> mate. It's actually it's funny you say oat milk because when we were over there, I um I don't drink I don't drink dairy anymore and. I just have a bad response to it. But when I when we were there, oat milk was massive all through London and yeah. we came home and I was getting all my oat milk lattes and, and stuff like that and we got home and there was just nothing here. And now, thank God, mate, they're, they're all over the place. There's so many oat Everywhere, milks. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I think I think if I could have been, if, if I could have done something different in the last five years, it, it would have been buy some shares in an oat milk company because they seem to be going crazy, don't they? It's so funny. My, my, my wife said to me when we first got back, she goes, oh, I would really love to figure out how we can get oat milk into the country. I was like, mate, it's a phase. Don't worry about it. So it turns out I'm, I'm not such a businessman. <laughs> they're absolutely everywhere because Melbourne's such a little hippie city that or we think we are. Everyone's bloody rocking their soy milk and their oat milk and any other thing that's just not normal milk. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah. to fancy things up a bit, we're doing our best to convince ourselves we're a little bit classy. But um, are, there, are there any things throughout the day that – you just like to have on hand to make sure that you're drinking. Like I'm a big fan of. I just bought a like a packet of dry ginger the other day just to try it out, make my water a little bit more interesting. And um, yeah. I heard Joe Rogan talk to some mushroom. I don't know. There's a name for him, but he was talking about mushrooms and some of the impacts that lion's mane mushroom powder can have on your brain and have on your memory and things like that. So I've, I've sort of got a few little bits and pieces in my own daily routine that I I try and be as consistent with as I can and it just makes the process of drinking a little bit more enjoyable um obviously yeah. living in Melbourne I think it goes without saying that coffee has to be a part of that um yeah but I was actually before you answer that first sorry I've got a hair in my mouth I just I don't know where that came yeah. out from um before we go into the the first question I was going to ask you like you're obviously drinking coffee there is is that something that you're you're pretty happy with most of the people that come to see you get into like a i have two or three coffees a day is there a limit is it is it good is it bad i feel like there's a, a lot of mixed opinions and 2020 seems to be the year of coffee is great for you uh, based on the articles that i read but oh yeah, yeah no you're right there's always a pendulum swing on that one isn't there it's either going to kill you or it's like it's, it's the best thing ever but i i sort of i again it's it sounds like a stuck record i sound like a stuck record but it's pretty individual i reckon like my mm. my wife can't really drink coffee she likes coffee and she drinks some decaf but she just can't tolerate the caffeine at all makes her feel real jittery and not not good you know like even a even a single coffee would really make her feel quite shaky and unwell and yeah i'll i mean when i was younger i would drink coffee as much as i wanted 
now I'm in my early 40s. I don't train as hard and whether that's got something to do with it as well. But I tend to find that I really enjoy and feel good off like one or two coffees in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of taper it down. It's rare, unless I'm jet lagged and traveling or something, that I'll drink coffee in the afternoon now. Um, and I think that's probably like a sign of, you know, I guess learning your body a bit better as you get older. And that, that amount for me seems to work. You know, it feels, I feel good. I feel much better. I feel better in the morning when I've had a coffee because of the, obviously the stimulant effect. But then once I've had a couple, I sort of lay off it a little bit. And in it's, it's quite funny because in our office, most of the guys that work at PH, I'm one of the oldest, I'm 42 and got a lot of guys in their, in their uh, mid twenties, late twenties, early thirties. And they'll still be smashing the coffee at like two, two in the end. They'll put another pot of coffee on in the afternoon. And I'm always like, no fellas, I'm not, I'm, I'm out for this one. And, and I sort of, I did, but I remember being like that, you know, it's like I could just drink it all around. So I think, again, you've got to work out your individual tolerance to it. If I drink more than that, the two things I notice is that I can, my sleep tends to suffer a little bit. And also I definitely don't feel as well hydrated. I can sort of start to, I, I just, I don't hold on to the water that I'm drinking as well. And I end up going down a bit of a hole with dehydration. So, so for me, it's like a, it's, it's a one or two level, but I don't, from the amount of athletes that drink coffee and just the sheer, well, the amount of people that drink coffee and, and, and perform well, I just, I just don't see it being as long as it works, as long as you figure out it works for you. I, I, I don't think it's a problem. I used to, when I was really serious about sport, I would like come off the coffee a week or so before an event to sort of, as part of an abstinence thing you know to then like really feel the effects of it on race day and the evidence all the evidence i've read subsequently is that that doesn't really make a huge difference but i think for me in my own in my own head it used to make a difference because it was all part of the ritual of preparation and like taking it seriously so i wouldn't necessarily advise people to do that but i think i've heard of athletes doing that and i think if it works for you it's not necessarily something to stop you know what i would say is if you habitually drink coffee in the morning i would definitely still have a coffee on race day because if you don't you can almost suffer the the reverse negative effect of going without yeah no that's a really good point mate sorry i I took you down a random rabbit hole with the last question i think i ended up asking a different question than what i started the first question was going to be about (laughs) um whether there were things in your daily routine that you just make sure that you get in oh yeah in terms of so i've the, the simplest way I do it is just because when, when I'm in the routine, which I am at the moment of basically going to the office every day and working from there, I can get pretty when we've got, and we've got a lot of work on at the moment. So I'm, I can be, I can be very guilty of like sitting in my chair and basically staying there most of the day. And then even sort of like going, what's getting up and going to the kitchen and getting a drink or whatever is distracting. So I've got a really nice stainless steel, water bottle that I just make sure that I've filled it up and brought it in with me with nice cold filtered water from my fridge and then that having that on my desk I'll I'll drink that but if I don't put it there I can get to two in the afternoon and I've not drunk anything and so I just have to sort of you know be prepared basically I don't I'm I'm not necessarily if if I'm training it's rare now for me that I'll train in the evenings Um, but if I've trained really hard in the morning, the only other thing I might do is have one of our electrolyte products in there, you know, to sort of, if I'm feeling a bit like shit, I was quite dehydrated off that, you know, I'll, I'll sort of have, have some additive in there, but, but I, but then I'm someone who really, I quite like drinking water. You know, water is one of my preferred things to drink. I know a lot of people don't like it and that's when putting ginger or fruit or those kind of things into it can make it more appealing. But I would say the the biggest thing is like give yourself the opportunity to drink. Don't make it hard to, because because ultimately when you get a bit thirsty, if you've got a drink there, you'll drink it. If it's if it's a lot of effort to go and get it, then you know you're probably going to leave yourself on the back foot until you're really thirsty, and then then you're on the back foot. Yeah, um, we actually just got a new filter. I'm not sure how familiar you are with different filters, but we just got this Genzon. It's called a Genzon filter, which got some fancy contraptions which seems to take out some brown stuff and add in some good stuff i don't know how it works exactly but it tastes it tastes pretty good here in here in melbourne but up until recently probably three months ago i was just smashing tap water and i remember actually when we were living in london are you are you in london or are you out of london we're about 90 minutes southwest of london we're on the south coast oh okay okay what's the south coast there what's uh what are you near 
Uh, we're between right between Bournemouth and Southampton. Okay, beautiful. Yeah, sure. I was about to ask you if you're anywhere near Brighton, but I didn't want to give away my lack of geographic knowledge, and I've just I've just done about it. two hours. Two hours. <laughs> yeah, sure. I remember when we were in London, um, we used to get up and we didn't have a kettle. I don't know. It's a long story, but we used to just boil our water up on the fry pan, and um, yeah. anyway, we would pour the water out and make our coffee. And at the end of it, there would always be this. Uh, it's like this white powdery limey looking stuff which just covered it and it, i remember just leaving thinking fire out i don't know if that's if that's something that we should be should be drinking too much of but at the time i was like oh well, it is it is what it is <laughs> but um are you a no, pretty big we, fan we of get the filter? a lot of hard water yeah our, our water here is like really hard it ruins kettles and things like that pretty quickly um but i've never I've, i don't i'm not aware of any that being you know sort of problematic for the for your body as it were other than mm. it's problematic for your appliances because everything gets kind of gummed up ruined yeah sure but you just drink filtered water out of um yeah we got we got a new fridge a couple of years ago with with like an inbuilt you know ice and water thing which is fantastic and i definitely think that that makes you drink a little bit more because the water's lovely and fresh and cold and it does taste just that little bit better yeah it's funny you say because since we got this filter i've been drinking so much just because i feel so healthy when i drink it a little bit like you backing (laughs) off your coffee before before race day, I think, oh mate, this is just psychologically. I have no idea if it's better for me, but I just wake up, pour a glass, and go, "Gee, I'm, gee, I'm a healthy bloke." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mate, um, I, I know you said it's it's awesome when you can meet up with people face to face, but I'd say sixty percent, maybe higher, of of the people who listen to this podcast are based around Australia. Um, we've got a we've got a yeah. small little chunk of UK listeners, but but nothing in comparison to sort of what we are over here. Um. That online questionnaire that you mentioned and that I'll link and, and make sure I, um, you know, put a direct link there for people who are interested in accessing that, is is that something that people in Australia would be able to do because they get in contact with you and, and still get some pretty solid benefits from what you guys are teaching? Oh, 100%. I mean, we're, we're really sort of ramping up our efforts to have a bigger presence in Australia at the moment. We've, we've got, if people want, so anyone anywhere in the world can do the online sweat test. So that's easy. You can go to precisionhydration.com hit the, the free test and then you know then walk through it we've we've now got if you want to get an actual proper sweat test done we've got a really good bloke down in sydney shane hannah who's got a sweat testing machine and his details are on our website or people can contact us to find them we've got another another great guy phil young who's a, a brit who's who's been based in australia for probably 10 years now and he's on the he's on the gold coast not far from um, surface paradise and he's got a sweat testing machine up there and then in about um so this is we're talking now at the end of august i think in about two weeks mid-september we should have a sweat testing machine in a sports performance facility that's opening up in perth as well so people in wa can get tested so if anyone's interested in that the the easiest thing to do is probably just to email us because our our um our team are on hello at precisionhydration.com for email address. We can then link you up with the nearest test center if, if someone wants to get a sweat test or whatever and, and, and put you in touch directly because uh, all those people are fantastic. And, you know, we're doing, and if anyone's in the UK, we've got a ton of places you can get tested, including at our headquarters as well. The other, the other thing to mention as well for people in ours is that if you buy products through our website, if you want to try any of our hydration stuff, it's ships from within Australia. We got a warehouse on near Brisbane, and we ship. Well, it's, it's actually out of Sydney right now, but it's moving in the next few weeks to Brisbane, and we'll we'll be shipping out from there. So you you get your stuff in a couple of days on Aussie Post. It's not like you got to wait for it to come over from the UK or anything like that. We're pretty well geared up to to look after people in Aussie New Zealand now. Oh, that's awesome, man! I was actually going to ask you earlier if you had any products that came over to Australia, but that's great to know because I was I was interested in um, uh, in finding that out, but I thought it was more going to be UK based. So it's fire! You you actually you got your finger in a few different countries then. Yeah, we we've really you know we apart well that's one of the nice things about running your own business is that myself and Johnny, my business partner, and a lot of the team, you know, we've we've loved traveling as part of the business. You know, we've done a lot in America. Australia, we we love the country anyway, but um, getting the opportunity to travel and meet people, we've um, we've spent a bit of time just before lockdowns happened and everything this year. We were in, we were all up and down the the east coast. Actually, we we do a bit of work with uh, 
a big rail company in Australia who use our products with their, the people that work on the rail, railroads because obviously, especially up in the northern territories and stuff where it's, it's super hot and humid, they have real problems with heat exhaustion and, and hyponatremia and dehydration. So we, we, actually, we actually do a fair bit in kind of occupational health. We're talking to some mining companies and, and others at the moment about, about that type of thing. Plus, you know, in Oz, you've just got so many people who are like us are massively into endurance sports and doing all sorts of crazy outdoor stuff that it's and, and the climate is so hot so it's it's kind of we feel our products are really relevant to people in australia so we we want to we want to do more over there so if anyone's interested in learning a bit more about what we do they should just hit us up you know yeah no fantastic man i've got my eye on the clock i know we've only got a few minutes left but um, you sort of just sparked a, a thought. Say there's a wife or a husband stuck in a car with their endurance athlete husband or wife or whatever, just thinking, okay, this is relevant to athletes, but it's not necessarily something that I'm super interested in. Do you have many people just off the street coming in trying to figure out how, the, how to improve their health um, just as it is, or is it specifically athletes that you're working with? I would say it's, it's a, the vast majority is athletes. Occasionally we, we speak to people who have sort of different conditions that cause them to sweat a lot. So there's a condition mm. called hyperhidrosis that, yeah. that is just where people have excessive sweating and that can cause like dehydration and problems the same as athletes get, but without that, that issue. We've also, our products have been pretty well used by people um, with a with syndrome called POTS, which is, um, which is where they have very low blood pressure and having the extra salts in an electrolyte drink a very strong electrolyte drink can help get people's blood pressure up and help them if they've got pots or one of these sort of um auto autoimmune type issues that that causes that and then even more recently we've been having conversations with a few people who've got who either through operations or through illness have have like part of their um bowel or colon removed and that sort of thing and they they suffer with dehydration quite badly because they can't absorb as much water into the body so they have to be very careful about electrolyte balance and making sure they take enough enough um, electrolytes with fluids to stay hydrated throughout the day so i would say the average the average guy on the street if he's not doing stuff where there's a ton of sweating and involved then what what we offer is probably less relevant but in lots of niche cases where people are having issues with something to do with electrolyte balance or fluid loss or fluid intake then we we get a chat with some some interesting people and, and some sometimes not always but sometimes we, we are able to you know help them with a solution which is always really nice we get some lovely emails from people if you're able to help them you know like get on top of a problem that's been that's been getting in their way yeah, no, awesome. I was, I was thinking, it was interesting. I was listening to, um, a pod, oh, there's another podcast here in Victoria called Inside Running Podcast. It's really popular around the world, actually. And, um, uh, one of the things that, uh, Moose, one of the blokes on there was, was really looking into, he ran the Doha World Marathon. I think, uh, what was it? The Doha World Championship Marathon. It was like, was it last year or the year before? And it was yeah, interesting. It was, there was super yeah. hot weather. It was, I reckon you would have been in your element trying to navigate yeah, that. Cause I think on a couple of podcasts, they were mentioning that, you know, there was, it was some pretty serious conditions to, to, to run in. But was that something that you had any, any help in or was there any athletes that you were working with around there? Um, for, for that yeah, race? we had a couple of marathon. We had a couple of marathon runners that um, contacted us about that. And we're using the products in the build-up. And then the biggest one lately was obviously before it was cancelled or postponed was uh, the Olympics being in Japan with the heat and humidity. We started working with quite a few athletes and teams that were that were worried about hydration in those hot and humid conditions. And that's obviously sort of been put on the back burner for the time being. But I can see that coming around again next year. We actually started working with um, Ailish McColgan, who's quite a well-known British runner she's a 5,000 meter five and 10,000 meter runner predominantly and um she's she's been at the last two olympics and been in the final so oh. um you know and she she came along and was chatting with us specifically to help her with the, the prep for that we've continued working with her in the background you know to now and then and then we'll probably you know do do more again next year because i think she'll be looking to to get all of that right in for tokyo yeah awesome Awesome, man. I know you've got uh, two kids and a wife to look after, so I'm not going to hold you too much longer. Uh, man, thanks so much for coming on. That was that was unreal. And sorry if I've thrown too many cliche questions at you, but uh, I tell you what, the information was incredible. I know there'll be plenty of people interested, so I'll make sure that I um, uh, give it a big shout out. Is there is there anything else people need to know about your business, about contacting you before I let you go? 
No, I think you've, we've covered most of them. If we can put some links to our email address, our website, and that kind of thing. If people, if, if anything that we talked about has resonated with people, we'd love to hear from you. You know, ask us questions. The one thing we're doing at the moment, which might be of interest, is we're offering one-to-one video calls with people, and they're free. You know, you can just you can hit up an, a member of our team. I'll send you a link you can share with that where people can pick a time zone and then and then book in. Because if people, if someone's listened to this and thought, shit, they want to ask a question, then that's definitely the best way. So they can just go onto a an, an, onto a scheduling calendar, click a link, book a time slot. They get a twenty minute video call with with one of our team in the UK, and we'll see if we can sort of help out. Basically, fantastic. Now that sounds great, man. Thanks again for coming on. That was good.